Good morning, everybody. 
My name is Peyton, and if you are a visitor this morning, I invite you to go on a road trip with us. We are on a road trip as a church, visiting all of the roads in your Bible. And if you were here last week, or if you're here for the first time, you are going to be blown away by what God has to reveal to us about ourselves, what God has to reveal to us about his character, and what God has to reveal to us about our destination on the road. If you were with us last week, we talked about Wilderness Road. We talked about the Israelites' freedom, their, their liberation from captivity, God delivering them towards freedom, but all of the baggage that they carry along that road trip. And we compared it to the baggage that we often carry on our road trip towards freedom in Christ. The baggage that's completely and hopefully unnecessary for us to carry. The baggage of guilt, the baggage of shame, the baggage of expectation, the baggage of other people's mistakes. And we carry it on the road and Jesus says to lay that baggage down. You don't need it. You won't need it on this trip. And the reason you won't need it is because Jesus not only says to put that baggage down, as we talked about last week, but he says he will take it up. And he carried it to the cross, and he destroyed it there. And it's that road that we're talking about this morning. Calvary Road, the road to the cross. But first, before we dive into that road, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever doubted God's love for you. Now, initially, I know it's tempting to automatically say, no, 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 no. I am a good Christian. I, I, I have a firm faith. I don't have any doubts. But then let that question sink in a little bit more as you think back on different moments in your life. Maybe it was the moment that you lost somebody that you loved dearly. Maybe it was from COVID. Maybe it was from cancer. Maybe it was a child. And sit in that pain for just a moment. Did you doubt? Maybe it was after hearing some bad news from the doctor. Bad news about your health. Bad news about your neighbor's health. Bad news about your best friend. Did you doubt? God, what is your plan in all of this? Maybe it's that nagging temptation that you can't seem to break from. If it's lust, if it's anger, if it's greed, and you agonize, God, why would you allow, if you loved me, why would you allow these things to happen? Why would you allow them to have power over me? Why would you allow suffering in the world? These are real questions, real doubts. And it's at that moment, the moment of those questions, it's actually the reality of Calvary Road, the road we're about to go on that keeps us from staying in that dark place. Now, I know that sounds strange at first, like meditating on Jesus' suffering is supposed to bring me out of a dark place. But meditating on his suffering, it actually helps us know the love of Christ, which surpasses all knowledge, as Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 3. It imminently, it's an imminently practical way for us to arm ourselves with the truth. Not how we feel at any given moment, but truth. Today, we are going on a five-mile journey. And you don't have to get out of your seat for this journey. We're going to just use our imagination and our words and scripture to go on this journey. 
but it's a five-mile journey that Jesus likely went on from the upper room with his disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane where he would be arrested, from the garden to the praetorium where Jesus would stand trial in front of Sanhedrin and then later on in front of Pontius Pilate, to the place where Jesus would be brutally tortured and to the place where Jesus would be loaded with a cross and carry it to his death. Some scholars say it was anywhere from three to five mile journey. And so what I wanted to do was experience this journey. And so this past Thursday, I loaded myself up with 100 pounds and attempted to walk five miles. Now, five miles is actually from this spot all the way to the beach. (laughs) So all the way to Mulligan's or Ocean Grill or Sexton Plaza. It's about 5.1 miles there. So I loaded it, and all along the way, I did little devotionals and reflections as I made that walk about my journey, how I was feeling, what I was thinking about, um, different stops along the way. And we are going to make that video available later. Um, We're going to do it through Tethered. It was actually a Tethered video that we created. Um, And in a couple weeks, we'll have that edited, and you can watch it and share it and, and experience the whole thing without having to carry 100 pounds on your back. But the reason I did it, you might be wondering, why would you do such a thing? Is because I wanted to feel even a glimpse of what Jesus felt in those moments. Not in its totality by any stretch of the imagination, but I wanted to feel something. Because the reality is, a lot of times whenever we read about Jesus' death and suffering on the cross, what are we doing? We're sitting on our couch, we're drinking our favorite coffee, we're sitting in this church building, we're sitting with our friends, and we're absolutely comfortable And we disconnect ourselves from what Jesus experienced on our behalf. And so through this experience, I got to taste just a hint of it. And so again, we'll make the full video available at a different time. But for now, I want to talk about Jesus's experience. Since the 4th century AD, many Christians have found solace in walking what's called the Via Dolorosa, It's the way of suffering, the way of pain. I experienced my own version here in Vero, but you can actually go to Jerusalem and walk what some people think Jesus actually walked and stopped along the way. We are going to go through our own Via Dolorosa this morning, the journey to the cross and what really happened along the way. What really happened on that road? And how does meditating on Scripture's truth fortify us with the assurance of God's unconditional love? us. You see, the scriptures about the Via Dolorosa are clear and simple and absolutely profound. It is on that road, the road to the cross, that God's glory is on full display. It's on the road to the cross that the plan of salvation is going to be worked out, and it's on the road to the cross that loves Jesus for us is going to be on full display. So what I want to do, though there's a lot of different moments on that road, I want to make four pit stops on this road. Four moments of Jesus's walk on Calvary and stop and reflect on what they mean for us. So the first scene that we're going to stop at, four soldiers form the standard crucifixion squad. Four soldiers. If you read in John chapter 19, then the soldiers took his garments and made four parts, one for each soldier. 
From the time Jesus was arrested all the way to the moment he breathed his last breath, there were four men who were in charge of making sure that he did, in fact, breathe his last breath. And the first stop on the road to Calvary would have been from the Garden of Gethsemane where he's arrested, he would have been taken to this building. This is the Praetorium. This is a Roman building that's attached to the Jewish temple. Let me say that again. This is a Roman building attached, overseeing the Jewish temple where they worshiped God and they had overseers to make sure nobody was doing something they're not supposed to be doing. You don't have to know much about history to already feel the tension between these two parties. I mean, the Romans had, quite literally, you can go today in the temple ground and find gambling games of Romans carved into the temple floor. Tension. That's not part of our lesson, but this is where Jesus would have been taken. And it's there that a a garrison of soldiers would have been housed, about 200 men, and they are going to have some cruel fun before the serious work of Jesus' crucifixion begins. Notorious for their brutality, the Jewish soldiers vented their depravity, their hatred of the Jews, onto the person they labeled as the king of the Jews, Jesus. They completely stripped him of all of his clothes and put a fox royalty robe on him, a purple cloak, likely one discarded from an officer. They twisted thorns into a crown, reminding us of the curse of sin, and they put into his hand a reed scepter, maybe uh, reminding us of the person of Moses. And then they bowed in mockery to Jesus. Royal greetings, repeatedly spat on him in contempt, struck his head with the scepter again and again and again, driving the painfully sharp thorns deeper and deeper into his skull. They slapped him with their calloused hands. How ironic that mere creatures could do such a thing to the creator of everything, to the king of the universe. Yet while he was reviled, sorry, let me go back to that. While he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but he committed himself fully to the God who judges righteously. Jesus turned himself over to the soldiers. He turned himself ultimately over to the Father, knowing and trusting that the judge of all the earth would make things right in the end. And I can't even drive behind a slow vehicle or walk behind an elderly couple in a grocery aisle without becoming frustrated and impatient, and sometimes even ugly. Like my ego, it's fragile. My patience is fragile. My temper is fragile. And I want you just to imagine, if you can, imagine yourself standing inside of a courtroom, not even close to what Jesus was. Just you're standing in a courtroom as a completely innocent person. You know you're innocent, but you have to convince everybody else in the room of your innocence. And they are angry, and they hate you, and they hold your life in their hands. How would you feel? I mean, think about your emotions. Anger, fear, anxiety, that you hold all of this in your hand. It reminds me, a couple years ago, there was a young man who was murdered in his apartment, Botham Jean. Uh, 
a, a female officer thought she was entering her apartment, ended up entering the wrong apartment, thought there was an intruder, shot him on the spot and killed him, only to realize she'd walked into the wrong room. But a couple years later at her sentencing, the victim, Botham's younger brother, Brant, was testifying. He was given his, he was up at the stand. And in that moment, he asked for her not to go to jail, though that would only go so far. And he said he forgave her and then asked the judge in the middle of the courtroom if he could hug her. And in a very emotional moment, the man who had his brother's life taken from him, an innocent man, hugs the one who killed his brother. I couldn't do it. And there's likely many of us in this room who couldn't do it. And we don't know how long the mockery continued, but afterwards the march towards his execution resumed. And despite his beatings, Jesus did start off bearing his own cross. It was a hundred pound beam that would have been strapped to the top of his shoulders. It likely wouldn't have been the entire cross, just the top beam, but weighing, as we've already discussed, about a hundred pounds, way down on his shoulders. And somewhere along the way, uh, the soldiers conscripted a man named Simon to carry, help carry Jesus's cross with him. Simon was entering into Jerusalem. Jesus was headed out just to show you how public of a matter this thing was. This wasn't a private thing. They did a sundown or sunrise to keep the public from knowing, just kind of the dirty secrets that they hide behind. No, crucifixions were absolutely public. The brutality of the Romans was public, and the crucifixions and the hanging dead men and women were absolutely public. Jesus was walking through the middle of the crowd to his execution. And clearly, the soldiers who abused Jesus so cruelly never would have allowed Simon to help them if there was any possibility that Jesus, staggering from exhaustion, torture, loss of blood, could have dragged the weight himself. Jesus was nice. Jesus was many things. But Jesus was not a superhuman sufferer. He was exhausted. He was a true member of humanity, coming in the likeness of men, being obedient to death, yes, even death on a cross. The man of sorrows experienced the weakness of being human, and he did it out of love for you, and he did it out of love for me. And Jesus' suffering on Calvary Road, it's a reminder to us of his humanity. That God came in the form and the likeness of you. So that, so that, when you are mourning the death of a child, Jesus can say, or God can say, I understand. When you are facing an inescapable, far too early death, God can say, I understand. When you are overwhelmed with anxiety and dark thoughts, God can say, I understand. When your body begins to fail you and you're just tired, God can say, I understand. And when others reject you and you feel absolutely alone, God can say, I understand. Jesus took a human body so that he could save our bodies. He took a human mind so that he could save our minds. He became a man of his emotions so that he could save us from our own hearts 
He took on human will so that he could save our broken and wandering wills. And in the words of Gregory of Nazanus, that which he has not assumed, he has not healed. And God assumed it all. He became human in full so that he could save us in full. And the bloodied, beaten body of Jesus was then pierced with spikes, likely in both of the forearms and then the ankles of overlaid feet. And then after he was pierced and attached to the cross, he was hoisted about 13 feet in the air on a pole. And Jesus would have been one amongst hundreds that were going to be crucified on that day. Some scholars even put the number up to thousands that would be crucified the exact same way on the exact same day, completely insignificant among the many to die. And Jesus' words, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. They're found in Luke chapter 23, verse 34. And Jesus said them, think about this, Jesus said those words as he looked down from the cross he was hanging and dying on. And what a distressing sight he would have looked at. He would have seen Roman soldiers gambling for his clothes like dogs. He would have had criminals. We record two around him, but criminals all around him, reviling him and jeering at him. He would have had religious leaders mocking him over to the side and a crowd blaspheming him. He was surrounded by the most unworthy lot, and Jesus looked at every single one of them and prayed, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. An unmatched prayer of mercy and love. And even in his agony, Jesus' concern was for the forgiveness of those who counted themselves as his enemies. Jesus asked the Father to forgive the thieves who were jeering him. Jesus asked forgiveness for the Roman soldiers who slapped him and stripped him and mocked him and yanked the hair out of his beard and whipped him and put a crown of thorns on his head and and pierced his arms with, with nails to a cross and hoisted him up to be crucified. Jesus asked forgiveness for the angry mob that called for this whole thing to happen in the first place. Jesus was willing to forgive. Forgiveness was, in fact, the reason that Jesus was hanging here in the first place. And the words, Father, forgive them, they show us the merciful heart of God. And it's that same merciful heart that's been extended to you. But we get that. What we don't often understand, it's that merciful heart that was extended to your neighbors as well. It's that merciful heart that was extended to the people who reject God. It's that merciful heart that's extended to the people who live by these worldly standards. It's that merciful heart that's extended to the people that you might think are too far gone. Jesus has already forgiven them. How are you doing at forgiving them? Six months earlier, before all of this ordeal happened, Jesus told his apostles that he would be killed. 
He said it this way, nobody takes up my life, but I lay it down myself. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it up again. Now, the disciples clearly had no idea what he meant by that, but Jesus knew. And everything about Jesus' final months, final weeks, final days, show his absolute commitment to fulfill the Father's plan as the Lamb of God, as the sacrifice. And when Jesus finally reached Golgotha, Calvary, the hill where he would die, he was offered a drink. It was a mixture of wine and myrrh, or wine and gall. It was used as a pain-killing sedative. And you can actually read about this in the Jewish Talmud. It's a uh, Jewish historical record, and it talks about Jewish women actually donated this drink to the crucifixion process to help mainly people of their heritage, so to help Jewish people who are being crucified pass it a little easier. But when Jesus tasted the drink, he wouldn't drink it. Why? Why would Jesus not take the drink to duel some of the pain? It's because the Messiah was so determined to keep his senses sharp as he paid sin's price that he refused anything that would dull the agony. He wanted to feel it. His love for you was total. It was tenacious. I lean away from pain. Jesus leans into it. I lean away from discomfort. Jesus leans into it. I lean away from sacrifice. Jesus And in that moment, Jesus could have called down 10,000 angels. You realize that, right? He had that power. He could have ended this whole thing. He could have destroyed the people who were destroying him. This thought came to me as I was rereading this story, preparing for this lesson. Why is Jesus hanging on this cross in the first place? Because he made a claim that he is the Son of God, that he essentially is God. And the people don't like that. That's blasphemy. All Jesus had to do in this moment it's just perform a miracle. Boom. I am who I say, say I am. I mean, Jesus, if anything, he could have just left this world, left us to rot. Fine. You don't want me? Let me show you what it's like to not have me. But he didn't. He didn't do any of those things. Why? Why did he not? It's because of the most famous passage in your Bible and the most profound for God expressed his love to the world in this way. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him, so that whoever believes in him and follows after him and seeks after him won't perish eternal destruction, but will have and inherit eternal life. And the way to the cross was complete. And in horrible simplicity, Scripture says they crucified him. All along the way, our Savior showed his dependency showed his humanity, showed his forgiveness, and showed his tenacity. 
And the Father was fully glorified by the suffering servant, and we were made right from it? Like Jesus endured everything that we just talked about, and we're the benefactors? And our sin that's as, as red as scarlet is made as white and pure? I am made benefit, and then I have the audacity to still carry around my doubt of God's love for me and God's love for this world. I still have the audacity to carry around my, my personal pain and my guilt and my expectation and other people's mistakes. We carry a lot of baggage with us on our road to Jesus. Some of the luggage we've picked up along the way, some of the luggage that's been passed along to us. And it's heavy and it's burdensome and it's tiring and it's completely unnecessary for us to carry any longer. Because of what Jesus did on Calvary Road, he's fulfilling his words when he says, come to me, everybody who is tired and burdened and carrying heavy baggage, lay it down. Come to me and I will give you rest. Jesus can say those words because he carried the burdens of the cross and he destroyed them there. Death was defeated. Jesus was not. Death was defeated. Jesus was not. There is freedom in Christ, and it's fully accessible to you right now. To you today, it's fully accessible. Are you ready to take another step towards Jesus? And it doesn't matter if you've been on this road your entire life, it doesn't matter if you're deciding this morning right now that you are ready to begin that walk. It doesn't matter where you are. We all have to take a next step. None of us have come to completion yet. We are all a work in progress. And some of us need to start right here, laying down our burdens, laying down our baggage. Jesus did what he did on the cross, not so that you can keep on carrying that cross. He did it so you can find freedom find freedom in him, that you can find rest, that you can find hope. Are you ready to take another step in the journey to Jesus? Are you ready? What is that step for you? We want to talk about it. I want to talk to you about your step. And again, it doesn't matter if you've been in this your entire life or if you're starting this morning. We all have a step. What's yours? What do you need to do today to take that step closer? I'm going to make myself available in the Founders Hall. You go through this door, exterior hallway, there's a building over there. I'll make myself available. I'll pray with you, talk with you, brainstorm with you about what that step looks like. Come talk to me. But for now, what I want to do is I want us to pray. And I want us all to fully surrender ourselves, fully surrender yourself to the one who gave everything for you on the cross. Let's pray. God, I hope the simplicity of that scripture, and then they crucified him, is illuminated into something far grander and deeper and more profound than the simplicity of the text. God, that behind those few words, there is the story and the journey of a man who was a God who suffered 
so that we could have life. God, I don't know why we carry this baggage. I don't know why I carry my baggage. Why I deem it necessary to do this thing on my own. Why I carry my guilt and my experiences and my expectation and other people's mistakes. Why do I carry them with me? God, help us lay down our baggage this morning. Help us fully surrender ourselves to you. And help us experience the rest that you promised to the people who would do so. God, you walked Calvary Road so that we wouldn't have to. And the end destination was your death, but you didn't stay dead. Death was defeated. And it's through the power of your resurrection, your power over death, that liberates us from ours. God, we surrender ourselves to you because of what you did for us on the road to Calvary. We say this prayer in the name of our Savior, Jesus, who gave it all. Amen. All right, that was heavy and powerful. Um, I hope it impacted you at some level. But these are reminders that we all need to remind us that God does love you. Even in your hardest and darkest moments, God loves you. But he doesn't just love you. He doesn't just love this church and everybody in it. He loves the people in his world. All people who are made in the image of God. And he's called us to go and seek them out and love them as well. We are going to release our kids for Kids Church now. Uh, if you are age 5 to 5th grade, you begin heading to the back, and one of our teachers will snatch you up and take you over there to learn about Jesus on your level, uh, which I know is extremely important. Immediately after, uh, after I finish out here, uh, we're going to have a five-minute countdown, and Joe is going to come up here in a second and talk a little bit about that. And then again, I'm going to make myself completely available in the Founders Hall. I'm going over there right now. So in that five minutes or after, you can come find me after class, and let's talk and let's pray together. I'll turn it over to Joe, and thank you all. Yeah, just real quickly, just want to remind you there's questions on the back tables that relate to the video that we're going to watch. It's going to be a really good one about the exclusive claims of Jesus being an inclusive message also. And uh, it's kind of preparing us as we go through the rest of the summer looking at the different religious faith traditions that we're beginning to see around us in our neighbors and with our coworkers. So five minute break, questions are in the back. The video will start when we hit zero. You're dismissed. <laughs>